When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. So happy you can join us for sort of a draft preview Peter King Podcast uh, with my good friend Miles Simmons from NBC Sports. The pod got hijacked a little bit, although we're not going to talk about this until the second half of the pod uh, by the Jalen Hurts contract on Monday, which I think... Everybody loves talking about contracts. I probably like talking about them a little bit less so because really my only view is, you know, does it really matter if a guy makes 51 average or 48 average? It is, it's an arms race. I get it, but it just doesn't interest me that much. But anyway, we're going to talk about the Hertz deal uh, in the second part of the pod um, and before that, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of draft stuff. First, our guest this week is going to be Alex Mortensen. You may know that last name. Alex is the son of Chris Mortensen, and Alex Mortensen is the University of uh, Alabama Birmingham offensive coordinator under Trent Dilfer on their rising football team. And we're having Alex Mortensen on the pod. He is Chris Mortensen's son, yes. Because Alex was an analyst on the coaching staff last year. And being an analyst on a coaching staff, you know, in college football, I guess you have to say you're an analyst and whatever. But, you know, Alex Mortensen had a lot to do with the instruction of quarterbacks over the last few years. He's been on that staff for nine years. So I wanted him to come on to talk a little bit about Bryce Young. And you'll hear from Alex in a few minutes. And I think one of the things you'll get from him is that, man, Bryce Young was an incredibly popular and important figure in that football program, especially for the last two years. So we'll see what the Carolina Panthers are getting. Now I'm Jumping to one conclusion there, Miles and I are going to open the pod talking a little bit about Bryce Young. But we'll also go through in the draft the fact that at number two, Houston has to be listening to trade offers pretty seriously. You heard from the general manager, uh, Nick Casario, this week, 
who did say that they've gotten offers, and I believe they're listening very hard to them. C.J. Stroud seems to be getting cold. Miles Simmons, we're going to talk about that a little bit. At the same time, Tyree Wilson, the pass rusher from Texas Tech, seems to be a little hotter right now than Willie Anderson. We'll see in what order they go, the two best edge players in this draft. Jalen Carter this week will complete his final of six visits inside the top 10 of the draft. I talked to his agent. I'm going to tell you what I think is going on there with Jalen Carter, the very talented but slightly controversial defensive tackle from Georgia. And Peter Schrager is out with his mock draft. I really like Peter Schrager. He's out with his mock <laughs> And he has B. John Robinson going to the Eagles at number 10, which I just clamped down on because it's one of those picks that I just really like. And I think the Eagles would be such a great landing spot for him. And finally, we're going to talk a little bit about the quarterbacks overall. And I got to tell you, I have no idea where Will Levis is going or how far down he could go. Miles Simmons, welcome the long national nightmare of draft hype is almost over. As we record this on Tuesday morning, we are T-minus nine days from the draft, and I think we'll both be happy when it's over. Just a, a little bit of programming information for you. Miles and I will be on next week, early in the week, we haven't really finalized when we're going to tape it, but at the latest, it'll be Monday morning. My mock draft, one and only mock draft, uh, will be out next Monday morning early, and we will have this podcast up uh, at some point on Monday, probably by about noon, uh, so you can so you won't have to read my column. All you'll have to do is listen to the pod. <laughs> but anyway, Miles, uh, welcome, and and I guess. The worst kept secret right now in the draft seems to be Bryce Young, number one. The NFL wants to have a TV show. Roger Goodell wants to have some drama. I don't know what you're hearing, but it doesn't seem like there's going to be much drama at number one. Yeah, and, and I think whenever you get a, a team that trades up like the Panthers did, they maybe had to do a little bit more due diligence of crossing T's, dotting I's, etc. But at a certain point, you're going to get that building start to coalesce around one pick, one person, for whatever reason it happens to be. But they're going to decide, okay, yeah, this is really where we're leaning. We like all the things about this guy. This is where we're going to put our chips behind. And when that happens, then the drama does sort of get sucked out of it, right? And now it seems like the drama is starting to fall into that number two pick, Peter. And I don't know if it is one of these things that is sort of a little bit of a creation to – make the television show have that much more intrigue, but can you really see the Texans passing on a quarterback uh, at number two overall in CJ Stroud, who, I mean, it's been the consensus, right? For a very long time that it's going to be Bryce young and CJ Stroud at one, two in some combination. I mean, it just seems like to me, we're getting a lot of smoke screens, right? They now. were an entry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, well, don't you feel like this is just a bunch of smoke screens for a little bit of nothing and C.J. Stroud's going to go number two overall Maybe. to the Texans? Yeah? 
Maybe, maybe, but I'll tell you, Miles, there's, so, you know, look, we are all victims, and I mean that. I, I, I truly mean that. So I don't talk to every team because I don't have somebody on every team who I trust. But over the weekend, I talked to eight of the top, well, let's just say, I talked to eight teams who have, let's say, top half of the first round picks, all right? So eight of the top 15. And one of the things in this conversation, in these conversations that I learned is that Houston, from some people who know people inside the Texans and also some people who have worked with uh, this new coaching staff of the Houston Texans believe that they are absolutely not sold on a quarterback at number two and also believe uh, one person strongly that they're top defensive player in this draft is Tyree Wilson. So, you know, and and as one person said to me, you know, D'Amico Ryans, if he picks Tyree Wilson, he will be picking his Nick Bosa. Obviously, D'Amico Ryans being the defensive coordinator uh, of recent vintage with the 49ers, had the benefit of working with Nick Bosa and seeing what that flash edge player can do for him. And I think you say, geez, we, we've heard all along it's, it's Will Anderson over Tyree Wilson. And yeah. I'm sure on many draft boards, it is Will Anderson over Tyree Wilson. But what, what Wilson has, assuming he, he gets a clean bill of health, he, He had a foot injury late in his last college season, but people say that that shouldn't be a big issue, that he's simply quicker off the edge than Willie Anderson is. Is that enough to propel him ahead of Anderson in this draft? I don't know. We shall see. But I could see the Houston Texans maybe moving down a little bit, taking a quarterback, even if it's not the quarterback they might have taken at number two. But I, I wrote this in my column this week, Miles, and I, mm-hmm. and I keep thinking about it, that it's one thing to want to go strictly by your draft board. If you're Nick Casario, if you're D'Amico Ryans, if you're the Houston Texans. But it's one other thing to risk losing the quarterback who's number two on your board. Do you really want to go potentially trade down a bit and get the guy who you might have rated third or fourth among your quarterbacks? There's a reason. I mean, the Texans have seven picks in the top 50 of last year's and this year's draft. Seven of 50. And seven picks that high. And... If you exit this year without a a clear answer at quarterback, I think you've been irresponsible at being stewards of this franchise. 
So to me, Miles, I agree totally with what you said a minute ago. I don't care if they don't love C.J. Stroud. I don't care if they're going to hate dealing with his agent, which is the word on the NFL street. I, I, I don't care. You have to take the quarterback who's next on your board and you have to hand him to your coaching staff and say, okay, make this guy a winner. Well, because if you don't, then Case Keenum is your starting quarterback for 17 games if he stays healthy. And if not, then you got Davis Mills, who I don't think that the Texans seem to want to go back to. I mean, we've seen kind of what Davis Mills can do over the last couple of years. It's not all that impressive with all due respect to Davis Mills. So I, from that standpoint, that's where I'm thinking, man, you, you have to have, like you just said, Peter, some sort of solution at quarterback and that's why I understand where yeah D'Amico Ryans would certainly want to have a great dominant edge rusher but the great dominant edge rusher doesn't score points for you does not get your offense on the field and keep them on the field and you know just based on the way this league is that's just the way I, I feel like the Texans have to go because if you have Case Keenum and you know question mark question mark question mark at your skill players and you don't really know what's going to happen you know with all that, it just I think it reaches a level of uncertainty that is not does not behoove the franchise basically just yeah. as you said uh, before we move on from the Texans though what what do you make of the sort of Nick Casario might be out rumors after the draft and then his denial uh, on Monday where he went full Leo DiCaprio, even quoting him and saying, I'm not leaving. I thought, and I forget his exact quote, but if you listen to it and I listen to like a, I don't know, two or three longer clips than, you know, one or two sentences, it sounded like, he was saying, you know, this isn't a real story. Did he say anywhere in there, this is absurd. I've never considered it. They never considered it. I was never approached about this. This is all made up. This is, no, he didn't say that. So look, I know that there are people who know Nick Casario who thought, in this postseason that the relationship might be rocky. That's all I know. And, but I have to say this, Miles. Nick Casario learned one thing from Bill Belichick. Always act like the CIA. You know, I just don't think there's any insiders who were, get, who were calling Nick Casario and getting whispered stories from Nick Casario it just you know he's just not that kind of guy which you know I respect him he he won't he won't talk he doesn't give you a lead he doesn't he doesn't lead you in any direction that's fine there's a lot of people like that in the NFL and if that's the way they are that's that's okay but the fact is there are those who believed that Nick Casario uh, might leave this team and now he's not going to leave this team, apparently. And I would assume he hangs on Miles, but it doesn't mean there was nothing to it. It just means that whatever happened there, 
and however serious it was, it apparently is over now. And so Nick Casario stays. And look, if I am D'Amico Ryans, even though I don't have a deep and abiding relationship prior to getting this job with Nick Casario, I trust Casario because Mm -hmm. he has made some good picks so far. And I think he is a good franchise architect. However, if we get a week from Friday and they go the first round without taking a quarterback, I am not going to be saying that. I'm just not. Because no matter how many holes you can poke in C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson or Hendon Hooker or Will Levis, and by the way, we're going to get to this in a minute, I think there's a real chance Hooker goes before Levis. Hmm. But no matter how many holes you poke in any of those guys, you got to take one, you got to hand them to your coaching staff, and you got to say, make him a winner. And I just believe that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and and I think that that would make a ton of sense. I mean, whether the Texans end up doing it at two or they end up using the Browns pick later in the first round to do that, I mean, you, you have to have a quarterback that you can start to build that offense around and that you can start to build something with you know, that can contend in the AFC South year in and year out. I, I think that that's pretty obvious. You know, let's jump to Hendon Hooker for a second. I was going to go to Jalen sure. Carter next, but since we just brought him up, I, I've, I've talked to quite a few people uh, who seem to like Hendon Hooker more than they like Will Levis. Hmm. And I think one of the reasons is that and and maybe one of the reasons that people were down on Hendon Hooker is that he'll be 26 years old by the time he gets healthy enough to play football that he probably isn't going to play much if at all in his first year so then he's even a year older in 2024 but you know I've had a couple of really smart football people say look Hendon Hooker is transitioning from a college program where the quarterback in many ways was dictated to about how you play the game and where you're going to go with this and all that. And instead of like Bryce Young, who, and you'll hear this from Alex Mortensen in a few minutes, how much faith and trust the Alabama coaching staff led by Bill O'Brien, well, led by Nick Saban, but, uh, and Bill O'Brien, how much faith and trust they had in him. And so I think the one thing about Hendon Hooker is I keep hearing upside, leadership, really good arm strength, uh, and the ability to make plays out of the pocket. And, And look, I only bring him up right now because for all we know, I think there's a lot of teams that really like Hendon Hooker. So what happens if you're the Houston Texans? Let's just say. Okay. okay? And this, I have seriously thought about this for my mock. Seriously, I've thought about Houston trading up from 12 to 10. Jumping Tennessee. And picking Hendon Hooker at number 10. 
And then obviously, if they maybe trade down from two to four, uh, which they may do, uh, if they do that to take Tyree Wilson, let's just say, then they could still get a quarterback at number 10 or number 12 in Hendon Hooker. So uh, the more I hear, I think Hendon Hooker is going in the top half of the first round. Okay. I mean, I, I think that that makes sense based on what Hendon Hooker's performance was at Tennessee. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I will never say that I am some type of huge draft nut, but you know what I know about him and what I've read and what I've watched and the limited things that I have. I mean, it's clear that he understands how to make plays. I mean, part of that too is when you're getting, when you've got a guy who is Hinden hookers age and he's playing against, you know, 18 to 22 year olds and he's a little bit older, you kind of expect that that dominance will start to creep in. It should kind of creep in, in the way that it did for him. And I I think, so that's not a knock necessarily, but it's, it's okay. You were doing the things that you were supposed to do. So how is that necessarily going to translate? I don't really know, but also I, I think him having the ACL, does certainly affect the way you have to look at him, right? Because, I mean, if you are, let's just go keep going with the Texans, right? And you say, all right, well, we'll have Case Keenum start the season. You know, we're going to bring Hinton Hooker along until he is ready. And that may be October. It might be November. Who knows? It could be December. But you at least have a veteran there that will run the offense in a competent way for you. That is a solution because you are at least acknowledging that, yeah, Hinton Hooker is probably our future while we can tread water here and use Case Keenum. But we think the upside is so good with Hinton Hooker that, yeah, we can go and we can trade for him and we can make things happen. I mean, that's something that absolutely would shake up the top part of the draft, right? If the Houston Texans decide, yeah, we we want somebody else at number two overall that's not C.J. Stroud. Well, then does that mean, I mean, you, you, Positive two to four, right? Would that mean that the Texans would actually trade with the Colts just because they don't believe in that quarterback, but the Colts do? I mean, that's that. Talk about entry, man. That's huge. And I don't know if that would happen, but at least you would have something there where it's two or three or whatever it is. It would be huge. It would be huge. But let's just say, for the sake of argument, Miles, you have to look – Every year I do my mock draft, one of the reasons why I kind of, for those entities that grade mock drafts uh, and a bunch of people now do, one of the reasons why I get, I, I do okay in those, but I never am great in those, is that I like to try to read minds because if I'm right, hey, I look great. If I'm not right, everybody says, what a dope, but I don't care, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> so the reason why I'm seriously thinking of this two to four swap and have been for some time is that I think there's a chance that Houston doesn't love C.J. Stroud for whatever reason. And again, I'm not saying I'm a fan of this. I'm saying that in the talk that I hear, I could see them going down. And yes, would it be controversial and difficult? 
if they traded the pick to a team in their own division that would take the quarterback who they probably were going to take if they sat there? Of course it would. But I guess I would ask, I, I would I would think of this if indeed I were examining this. I would just say, hey, listen, Houston right now has pick number two, pick number 12, pick number 33. Let's just say for the sake of argument, Houston can move down to number four with an eye on one of the quarterbacks who they believe they can get a few spots later, either at number 12 or maybe moving up a spot or two from 12, okay? And the only reason I say this is that the Indianapolis Colts have the 35th pick in the draft. And I believe what this would allow Houston to do, last year they had four picks in the top 44. This year, imagine having four picks in the top 35 and again working to solve your receiver issue by later on getting either Jalen Hyatt or Zay Flowers or one of the receivers who you you know that you need desperately, especially after trading Brandon Cooks. So you get John Mechie back from his illness this year and you take one of the top three or four receivers in this crop and you say, okay, you've done that without the ability of buttressing the other positions on your team that you know you need desperately. So imagine, Miles, imagine my scenario for Houston is they get their edge rusher who they want at number four in Tyree Wilson. They get Hendon Hooker, their quarterback, at 10 or 12. And then if they do this, they have the ability at 33 or 35 to get a really good receiver and then to continue to build the foundation, get cornerstone players for D'Amico Ryan. So that's kind of my pet theory as I go through this. That's a lot of variables, Peter, man. That's a lot. That's a lot of variables. I like I like the yeah. I like this scenario though. I mean, I I think that if you play it out that way, it does make sense. But it it's it's also one of those situations where I mean, what the would the Cardinals want to get involved in some way? I mean, and they're probably trying to trade down more than they would be trying to trade up. But I I it's hard for me to see the intradivision trade, especially for a quarterback, yeah. because I think there's and, a very good I, chance, Miles, that if my scenario happens. The Cardinals will not trade that pick, and this right, is why. Who they trade it to? Who who desperately now wants to get up to three? The right. only way that I think they could trade their pick is probably to take a little bit less value than you might normally think. Let's say Atlanta going from eight to three, and you would say, "Boy, that's that's like two twos." Now wait a second. Might only be one two, uh, you know, one second round pick. But, but again, that's the kind of stuff I think about at this time of year, because yeah. I just think that there are always trades, and to try to predict where they are and who they're with, I think is always kind of fun. Miles, 
There's two other very quick things before we get to Alex Mortensen. Jalen Carter, Adam Schefter reported a couple of hours before we uh, recorded this podcast that uh, Jalen Carter would be making a visit to Atlanta today to visit with the Falcons, which means now that he will have seen and visited every team between five and 10, the six teams uh, from five to 10, five Seattle, uh, six Detroit, seven Las Vegas, eight Atlanta today as we record this, uh, nine, who am I missing, and 10 Philadelphia. Oh, nine Chicago, nine Chicago, 10 Philadelphia. And so I had a good conversation with Drew Rosenhaus, Jalen Carter's agent, on Saturday. Um, and one of the things I brought up was just it's very interesting. You know, Jalen Carter, with his background, has chosen to go to the draft in Kansas City. Now, you know, I talked about this with Rosenhaus, and he basically told me, he said, listen, if I thought there was any chance that Jalen Carter was going outside the top 10 and it was going to be one of those green room things that they keep showing Jalen Carter over and over and over again, waiting, 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 he said there's no way we would have gone. That was one thing. You know the second thing we talked about? And he didn't want to be very specific with it, but he did say that a team outside the top 10, he wasn't telling teams outside the top 10 that you can't meet with Jalen Carter. But if you want to meet with Jalen Carter, come to Apopka, Florida and see him you know, at his home or, or somewhere near his home base because... He just felt like it was going to be a waste of time. Now, the only reason I bring that up is I thought there was a really, really interesting kind of fun rumor that the Pittsburgh Steelers might move into the top 10. Who would they move for? You know, they probably need Peter Skaronsky or Paris Johnson, (laughs) you know, more than anything else right now. They probably need the offensive line, but and maybe that's what they would do. But all I can say is, man, I would love to see Jalen Carter coached by Mike Tomlin. I just think that is a match made in football heaven. Yeah. Oh, certainly. It's interesting. It's not necessarily the most Steelers move that we would think of, right? And perhaps it would be like this is more Omar Khan now as the general manager as opposed to Kevin Colbert. I don't know if that's something that they really would do, but boy, if they did that, that's, that's another thing that would shake up that top half of the draft. And it really would shake up the AFC North. I mean, the Steelers have some dudes now, you know, I mean, George Pickens is a stud, you know, they've got guys, especially on offense who I, I think are really, really good. So you, you pair that with a defensive coaching staff that we know is very good and a head coach that we know is very good because he's been doing it, you know, since time immemorial. I I think that that would be something that you Pittsburgh Steelers fans would get really excited about. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 
The Premier League is built on hope. The hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long for Darwin Nunez to make an impression. The hope of rewriting history. of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA and Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again. Goal for the United States. Unbelievable. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Miles, let's get into my conversation with Alex Mortensen. Uh, I'm going to introduce it and him uh, right now. And then on the back end of the pod, we'll talk about Jalen Hurts and the contract and, and what it means. Because I think there are two very obvious uh, you know, sort of morals to the story and what they mean going forward in the league. But first, um, so Alex Mortensen, uh, I'm good friends with Chris Mortensen. Alex Mortensen has been uh, with the Alabama Crimson Tide, was with them for nine years in a variety of roles on the coaching staff and on the football administration staff. He spent the last two years working closely with the quarterbacks as a football analyst. And I just thought it would be good this week to get somebody who had been very close to Bryce Young and to talk about what kind of person and player he is. And I started the conversation by asking him, whatever team drafts Bryce Young, what is that team getting? in quarterback Bryce Young. I've talked to teams about Bryce, and, and there's a lot to talk about when they ask. You know, and I think, you know, one, there's the person, the player, and obviously those things overlap to some degree. But part of what has been remarkable to me about Bryce is, you know, you, sometimes you, you encounter quarterbacks that, you know, might be really intelligent. They have this, this great intellect. They're really impressive in the meeting room. They come into meetings – they have an outstanding memory. They can, they understand protections. They understand the routes. They understand their reads. They can get on the board. They can diagram it. They can diagnose things quickly on video. But then when they go to the field and the ball is snapped, they struggle. You know, those guys are out there. You know, there's, you know, a lot of them become coaches at, at some point, you know, and then you have, I've also encountered other guys that, you know, maybe don't come off as intellectually gifted, maybe they don't seem to have the great memory. Maybe they don't even work at it as hard. They're not as, as good in the meeting room, but then when the ball snap, you know, they have really good instincts. They're good players. They see things well, they react well. Maybe they're not as good as they could be because they don't have that other side of it. What's impressive to me about Bryce is he's both. He has this phenomenal memory. He has a work ethic. He has a, he has an excellent routine and how he studies. He understands protections. He understands numbers, leverage, scheme he understands the game very very well and then yet he's also a guy if you're playing pickup football he'd be your first pick you know because he has excellent instincts and when the ball snap he reacts well 
he can play well inside the system and then he can pl- play very, very well off schedule and outside of the system too. So I think that, the, that is, in a nutshell is probably the thing that impresses me about him the most is that he has kind of both of those qualities. Alex, I have heard about Bryce Young that while at Alabama, he would go to the line of scrimmage and he would kind of do a very sort of NFL thing, which I know has impressed some scouts and and coaches in the NFL, which is most plays, he went to the line with two plays and he picked one based on what he saw the defense do. Do I have that information correct? Yeah, there, there, there's definitely some, some truth to that. You know, we, you know, we had an offense where, you know, sometimes, you know, you may not be in a situation where you're changing a play because where the game is now, there's more run pass options. So you, you, you have both built into the play. And so he got to where he, I think he got very good at, at making those decisions. And then you have some plays where, maybe there is a check involved where he could check a play from a run to a run or a run to a pass um, or a pass to a run. So he did get very good at that. And, you know, then, you know, so anyway, yes, the short answer is yes. And, and then the other thing I would say too, is and sometimes you keep a play on and the play stays up, you're not changing the play, but maybe you have to get yourself protected and change the protection or redirect the center, communicate with the back, make sure he understands you know, he understands what he has in protection and he got really good at all three of those things, you know, in terms of, you know, and there's even some things where, you know, the more he played, you know, he got really good at protecting himself against pressure, you know, cover, you know, what's considered cover zero looks where people are are coming all out, coming after you. So yes. And I think that's part of that intellect I was kind of referring to that was so impressive. Like, I don't know how they measure this, but I know like on an IQ test, for instance, you know, there's, there's like pattern recognition test, his, his ability to recognize patterns. And, you know, when he's looking at a defense, I just think it's off the charts in terms of he can look at it and very quickly assess without having to look at the corner, the safety, this guy, that guy, the end, oh, the end's tighter, this nose tighten up, this ends loose. I think I'm getting a fire zone. He can just see the picture and right away he goes, okay, I'm getting Mike Starr. They're coming from the field. They're rolling to the middle. He sees it so, so fast. So, and that allows him to do all the things you talk about, whether that is change of play, redirect of protection, or know what to do on an RPO. So I, that's an area that he's, I think he's very, very gifted. Is that sort of an NFL trait for a quarterback that he can control so much at the line of scrimmage? And look, this, what I'm going to say is sort of a cliche I have that might not really be true about college football. But my impression of college football is that a lot of quarterbacks might either look over at the sidelines, you know, right when they're at the line of scrimmage, and maybe there will be a card held up, or maybe there will be some sort of signal or something like that. So even when they're at the line of scrimmage, they will have a, uh, they will have help from the sidelines in determining what play is going to be run. Is that kind of prevalent in college football? And would you say that Bryce Young is different in that regard with knowing so much and having that sort of power at the line of scrimmage? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's very accurate. I think what you said is absolutely correct. I think mo- a lot of systems try to take it off the quarterback in college. Yeah. 
and maybe you have a really good player, maybe like that guy I described earlier, the guy that is instinctive, but maybe isn't prepared or ready to make all those decisions. And so they try to put it on the coaching staff by getting that information from the sideline where, you know, maybe you do a dummy cadence, you look to the side and you get the play. And, you know, that was a part of our system, but we probably put more on Bryce. And I think you are correct in saying that that is, you know, definitely a much greater requirement for an NFL quarterback. And he is probably uniquely equipped to take on that responsibility at the next level because, you know, some of it I think is a product of the system he's in. It's also more largely a product of who he is. And again, I would point to some of that being, you know, I think he is gifted. And then some of it is that he also, like an NFL quarterback, developed a very good routine in how he studied. And so you would, he would, he may come in on a Monday you know, we were an afternoon practice team, but he might come in to the to the Monday afternoon meeting and he already has ascertained quite a bit about the opponent. And it's not phony. You know, it's like he has good questions. He has good observations. He's clearly watched them. He's he's clearly um, understands some of the things they're doing already at that point. So so I think to your point, um, yes, I think that he is probably uniquely equipped to handle what the NFL requires their quarterbacks to do, which is to do more at the line of scrimmage. And then, and then, yeah, I think it's a product of the way he's prepared himself too. Was it ever part of game planning or game calling, quite frankly, that Bryce Young is 5'10"? Did you ever think about that? You and Bill O'Brien and the offensive staff, do you ever think much about his size when you're either building a game plan or calling a game? Maybe not as much as you would think. I thought where I thought one area coach O'Brien really did a great job is he asked Bryce what he liked, you know, and I think that is something that you talk to a lot of NFL coaches. They, they try to figure out what their quarterback is good at. And some of that, is around some very honest, open dialogue. Hey, what do you, what concepts do you like? Why do you like them? Why do you not like them? And then making the determination of, okay, if there's something you don't like, do we need to try to press the issue and try to develop that area? Or do we need to just put it on the shelf? And so, you know, as we went through, even as you get into a game week, you know, Coach O'Brien right up to Friday night would keep saying, hey, how do you feel about this? Do you like this concept? Do you not? So I think some of that, uh, you know, maybe naturally happened through Bryce's input that that Billy gave him. But um, I don't know that there was a ton of conversation about his height. I think uh, I think he had remarkable vision, um, you know, even though his height, you know, maybe is what it is. So, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think there's some things when you have a guy like, you know, that maybe isn't 6'4", maybe you try to use more empty, you try to get, you know, free release more. Um, you know, sometimes you do harder play action to set them up, you know, say at nine yards deep um, to create some separation from the line. But, you know, even traditional six man, you know, drop back protection, you know, where in some cases maybe you would get worried about the, the middle of the pocket getting pushed. The ball's not getting out quick. He, he still handled a lot of that very well. Do you find that the game is more suited or, or that I shouldn't say more suited, but compared to even when you were in high school or let's say 20 years ago, is it more possible to play the game as a smaller quarterback? Because in so many offenses, it's more of a horizontal game today 
than it was a vertical game 20, 25 years ago. I, I think there's something to that. I think you're probably right. I think the game, I mean, one, like I think we have examples now, more examples of guys that maybe do not fit the pro- prototypical size of 15 years ago that have shown that they have been able to play and play at a high level, you know, in both in major college and in the pro game. So, you know, is that a product of systems and schemes changing or is that a product of more of these guys getting an opportunity to play and, and we kind of move past some of our preconceived uh, notions or assumptions about what it takes to play quarterback? I'm not sure, you know, and I, and I think, you know, I think another interesting study on this too, when you talk about the, the size thing, there's obviously there's a vision component, you know, that I think probably gets talked about a lot. I think sometimes too, when you think about height, you know, usually arm length and hand size go with it. So, you know, just if you're looking at the odds, you know, odds are somebody that's tall probably has long arms and probably has big hands. And so maybe they have better levers to, you know, physically throw the ball. And so, I, you know, maybe the other study that needs to be done is of the shorter guys that have been successful, what has been their arm length, what has been their hand size, because there's beyond the visual component, I think there's a there's just the pure physical component of what kind of leverage do you have to throw a football um, and so, you know, I, so that, I think that's a, another layer of this thing that needs to, and probably has been looked at by a lot of folks, but, um, but yeah, I think that clearly there's, there's a trend here that, you know, smaller guys, there's more small guys that can play. And, and, and I think you are right. There's an element of maybe style of offense that has, has been created to fit those guys too. You know, the one thing I've heard about Bryce Young is he's very good at, uh, getting guys to to follow him v- very good he's sort of a a natural leader type what was he like off the field what was he like around his teammates he's very pleasant he's a very polite person he you know one thing I think that I think sometimes one of the things that can be impressive about him is he treats people very well that maybe can't help him a lot if that makes sense I think that can always be an interesting you know, way to look at somebody's character. So you could be anybody in the building, could be equipment, could be training room. You know, he treat he generally treats people very, very well. He's very polite. He's engaging. You know, he's got a very pleasant personality. He's got a good sense of humor. So there's just things about him as a person that I think are likable. You know, you, I think you kind of start there. And then he's, you know, I think he's a really good leader, but, you know, at first, like there's a little, there. it can feel like there's a little California cool. You know, he's very poised. Yeah. And that served him very well in some, you know, high stress situations, that poise that feels like at times he's a, he can even be a flatliner. And so you wonder, okay, is there a fire in there? What, you know, what, how competitive is he? I'm talking about first impressions. You know, he's been on campus for say a week or two. You find out that he's very competitive. He's very, very driven, but he's, he's got this poise and this great demeanor about him that allows him to handle stress very well. And now, I tie that back into the leadership question because he may not be a always be the most confrontational leader. He may not embarrass a guy in front of his teammates. He's he is he is a really good way of having a side conversation with a guy. Maybe it's in between a series at practice, maybe it's between practices, you know, who without so you know, there's some guys that are maybe more confrontational, more direct. And I'm not saying Bryce does not have that capability, but I think he's he's probably gonna do it his way, one on one. He's not going to he's, he's not going to humiliate someone. And I think that's probably part of the reason why guys do want to follow him, because they respect that he doesn't do that to him. 
Now, that being said, I have seen him grab the offense. I've seen him get in front of him. I have seen that fire, the intensity. I think he's a, you know, a good public speaker when he needs to be. So it's there, but it's just kind of, you know, I think he doesn't, I think part of, and the last thing I'll say is part of why I think it works for him is he doesn't try to be something he's not. That's yeah. who he is. So that's how he leads. <clears throat> can you pick out a game, Alex, that, uh, I mean, I can think of a couple just off the top of my head. One was the, the Texas game this past year where you guys, Alabama came back in the fourth quarter to win, but What's what game, in your opinion, is a good example of Bryce Young's either moxie, leadership ability, uh, calm under pressure? What what game really sticks out to you from his Alabama career? I think about the Iron Bowl. Iron Bowl in two thousand twenty-one. We were not playing well. They were playing very very well. We were on the road. Um, and we were struggling to move the ball on offense, and he stayed very poised. He did not panic, and, you know, on a, on a coming out drive, I want to say, I mean, we were inside our own five and, and had to drive the ball and convert a fourth down. That was a game where, you know, it, I thought it was remarkable how well he played late, how he kept his poise, how he didn't panic. I think there's even kind of a semi-famous viral clip of him smiling and laughing before the fourth down conversion on that drive. So that, to me, that drive kind of embodied, uh, you know, in a lot of ways who he is. One other thing I'm, I'm curious about, you've obviously been at Alabama for a bit. Um, it's almost been recently a little bit of the cradle of quarterbacks, the way, you know, other schools over time have, have also developed a lot of quarterbacks and, you know, Jalen Hurts was there, then Tua, uh, obviously Mac Jones, and now Bryce Young. What would you say has been kind of the key? Is it is it some combination of recruiting and teaching as to why there have been so many good quarterbacks developed at, at Alabama? Yeah, I, I think you hit it right there. I mean, it from ten thousand feet. I think I think the evaluation process you know, has been really good. And I think it, you know, it all starts with coach Saban, you know, he's, he's got a vision for the program. He's got a vision for what he wants at every position, you know, with, with some degree of variability, you know, from year to year, but, you know, he collectively as a staff and then coach Saban, you know, acting as the head coach and like the general manager of the team and recruiting, you know, I think has done a really good job of finding and recruiting quarterbacks. So one, it starts with the selection process of getting good guys on campus and getting them there. And then secondly, yeah, I think it's it's the teaching, it's the development. And that's one thing I really appreciate about Coach Saban is he's a guy that, you know, he really believes that football is a developmental game. And he believes that quarterback is especially a developmental position. And so, you know, you certainly have an evaluation of a guy, but you continue to reevaluate guys constantly. So you don't get stuck on a first impression too much either and allow guys to keep getting better and keep looking at who they are, say, you know, three months, six month increments. And so part of that teaching development part is, you know, I think one, I think he has set up a program that does have an excellent teaching progression because you're also going against a very good defense every day in spring football and training camp. So you're learning the other side of the ball. You're seeing four down, you're seeing all sorts of fronts, all sorts of sorts of pressures, all sorts of coverages from 
you know, a very complicated defense. So as you're learning your offense as a quarterback there, you're also going against a very good defense. And therefore you have, a, I think, a broader education going into the season, you know, as you take on your opponents, I think that's invaluable. So you, so a lot of problems that come up, you've already solved this problem, maybe day eight of spring ball or day nine of camp. And, you know, it could be a protection issue, whatever. So that, that part is really good. And then, you know, I think coach Saban is a, is a mastermind at how he organizes practice. And so you can be a down the line guy, but you get a lot of reps, you get a lot of work. So you might be the fourth team guy. You might be like Mac Jones was where, for a while you're a three and, but you've gotten, by the time you you're playing you, the, the cumulative reps you've, you've had, I mean, it's off the charts. And so I just think you're more ready to play the way he sets things up. So I think it's, it, you're right. I think it's a combination of recruiting. I think it's a combination of the teaching progression, but then I also think it's a combination. You at the, the third component of that is just the amount of, of reps you get because you, you know, no matter how good of a teacher you are, you know, athletes generally get better by doing, you know, and they got to go out and they got to do it and try it and, and have trial and error and make mistakes and, and have an opportunity to improve on it. So I think that that's a product of, of the way they, they practice there. I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you one very quick story and just ask you your thoughts. The news of the week in the NFL, obviously, is that Jalen Hurts has gotten a contract that's made him the highest paid player in NFL history and new money on a contract. And I just, one of the first things I thought about, first time I ever met Jalen Hurts was after a game this past season in Philadelphia. I spent maybe 15 minutes with him after the game and we're talking. And and at one point I said to him something like, you know, a lot of people around here say that you are your father's son, that you're a lot like your dad. And I wonder what your dad, what lessons are in you from your father, you know, having coached you in high school. So we started talking and in a two minute answer, he called him coach hurts three times. He didn't call him dad, you know, right. he just, and, and he just, and it just occurred to me that man, Jalen hurts. Like he's like all business. Very. Oh, and and I know he had a kind of a weird career at Alabama and had yeah. to leave and went to Oklahoma and all that stuff. But what's been your impression of how Jalen has done, especially this past year in Philly? Well, I'm, I'm so happy for him, first of all. And it's kind of it's tough because as a college coach, I don't get to watch him very much. <laughs> you know, we, you yeah. get out of church Sunday, Sunday is a big work day, you know, and so I don't get to I see highlights and stuff, but. I'm just so happy for him. And I think anyone that's been around Jalen just knows that, you know, certainly he was obviously a very talented guy coming out of high school, but he's very determined and he has his iron will. I will not be denied attitude. Yeah. Yeah. I think he also is very honest with himself too. So, you know, he, he'll identify areas he needs to get better and then just systematically just goes to work on them and fixes them and improves them. And he's just constantly been on this journey of, progress and and don't me don't hear me wrong he started off very very good right yeah, yeah. he's been on this progress of journey and improvement and and said i'm not, i am it was the opposite he didn't say i am what i am you know and so he's just he's he's, he's chipped away at a lot of things but i'm not surprised because i mean even when this guy like he was an early graduate and he would be up there knocking on the door every day in the spring you know so he should be a senior in high school getting ready for prom 
you know, and he's already enrolled and he just, he wants to meet every day, talk about formations, talk about, you know, and I was a, you know, I was a graduate assistant at the time. So right away, you could just see, you mentioned business, like you could see how serious it was to him, how important it was to him. So to see him go on and have success is, I think anyone that's been around him is not surprised. I also think that, you know, you obviously know what it's like being around your dad, the, the pressure on an NFL quarterback anyway, and sort of multiply that times two and a half being in Philadelphia, yeah, where, you know, you're a bum unless you win the Super Bowl, you know, and, and I, I just, I had, I really had a lot of respect for the way he handled his business. You'll probably get a kick out of this. But Nick Sirianni told me that the week, this this week that I was at the game, he said, uh, on Tuesday night, I'm looking around and and there's Jalen. It's nine o'clock at night. He's here working on stuff and wanting to make sure he's ready for the start of the week the next day. Right. And he said, I got, I got to tell him, get the hell out of here. Right. Because it's just, you know, this is your day off. You're here at nine o'clock, but he can't learn enough. That was what Sirianni's point was. But anyway, uh, I, I was I was really glad to see that, too. So, Alex, you're at Alabama, Birmingham now. Tell us about being offensive coordinator under Trent Dilfer, what that has been like in the early days been great you know we're, we're all excited to be here you know we really like our staff a lot and got a great group of players you know we, we definitely have our we know we have our work cut out for us you know they uh you know they've done a good job here you know the the prior coaching staff did a really good job here program was you know run very well but we're also in a situation where we're moving into a new conference you know we've only got two returning starters on offense you know the whole offensive line from last year's team was gone quarterback I mean, go on and on. I mean, there's, there's, we're replacing a lot of players. I want to say both sides of the ball, maybe there's five starters back. And then, um, you know, coach Delford would joke, he goes, you know, Hey, we got a, we got a head coach that's coming from high school. We've got two coordinators that, you know, are, are in their first coordinating job at this level. So, um, so, you know, we've, we've definitely got our work cut out for us. We're excited to take it on. We're looking forward to it. But um, to this point, it's, it's really been a lot of fun. Wow. Well, listen, I wish you the best and uh, you've had, you've been grounded well and taught well uh, in this job. And, and, and uh, I know that it, it must've been, it must've been a great education working for Nick Saban for so long and obviously having the dad you have. So good, good luck in this next chapter, Alex. And I appreciate you sharing some information about Bryce Young. I, I pre- really appreciate you having me on. And um, yeah, I can't, anytime I get a chance to talk and say good things about Bryce Young, sign me up. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fantango. Breathe in. <sighs> smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. <sighs> Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango, it's your ticket to the movies. The Premier League is built on hope. 
with the hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long for Darwin Nunez to make an impression. The hope of rewriting history. And the hope of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA and Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Goal for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. My thanks to Alex Mortensen for his time. Good luck to him with the UAB Blazers. Good luck to Trent Dilfer. That's going to be a fun story to follow uh, in the coming years. So in the second half of the pod, Miles and I are going to try to figure out just what the Jalen Hurts contract means. And first of all, I think it is an utterly fantastic deal not only for Hertz, because basically he's being handed, and again, full guarantee and effective guarantees are are different. But in terms of the effective guarantee of this contract, it's 179 million. What what it basically means is that barring some stunning development, uh, that's how much money uh, Jalen Hurts is going to make from this contract over the next five years, there is, there's, you're going to see some salary cap, uh, not shenanigans, but you're, because it's all very legal. But the first few years of the contract, first three years are low to help the Eagles in the current cap situation. And then as the cap goes way up in 25, 26, 27, with the new media deals, uh, you're gonna you're gonna see the bigger numbers, obviously. But there's two points I wanted to make about this. Number one, this is the eighth contract signed by a quarterback, a long-term contract, and I'm not counting the Raiders contract with Derek Carr last year because that contract has been dissolved now. But this is the eighth contract of a quarterback who is still with his team. And I'm going to tell you right now about the guarantees. And when we see the full explanation of this contract, we'll know exactly how much the guarantee is. But the effective guarantee is about 70%. So the point I'm going to make to you is when we're talking about effective guarantees of these contracts, basically, you know, there's not a single fully guaranteed contract among all of them. And among the contracts signed, and I'm going to read this off this paper that I have, uh, that I did before the show, Derek Carr's guarantee is about 40% of his contract in New Orleans. Uh, Daniel Jones with the Giants, 51%. Geno Smith, 36%. Jimmy Garoppolo, 46%. Kyler Murray, 45%. Russell Wilson, 51%. Um, and so, and Aaron Rodgers, that's a weird contract. 
it's probably, depending on what you really believe with this contract, it's probably about 67%. So the one point I'm going to make has to do with Lamar Jackson. The last eight quarterbacks to sign multi-year generational wealth contracts, and again, you could argue about Geno Smith, but to Geno Smith, this is the biggest deal he'll ever sign, almost certainly. Um, No one has signed a contract that is at least three quarters guaranteed. So I think that there's been one contract that is fully guaranteed in the last couple of years. And that contract was signed by Deshaun Watson, which in essence, we all know what happened in Cleveland. What happened in Cleveland was the Browns were called in the Deshaun Watson Derby and they were told essentially, you're out, we're going to go with one of the other three teams. And the Browns quickly thought about it, and somehow, some way, all of a sudden, this miraculous, fully guaranteed offer came from the Cleveland Browns. Somehow, some way. Gee, I wonder how that happened. I'll tell you how it happened. It happened because this team knew that they were out of it, and the, they had an owner who's tired of not having a franchise quarterback. <clears throat> so now they've got Deshaun Watson, and that's the way that contract happened. And whatever way it happened, fine. There it is. It's a fully guaranteed long-term contract. You know, 230 or whatever is the number, but fully guaranteed. But there is no other word for that contract than outlier. It did not establish a precedent. It did not establish a benchmark for quarterback contracts. All you have to do is look at every contract that has been signed since then. And there's not a single fully guaranteed long-term contract. So I think for those who would say, well, wait a second, you can't eliminate that contract. I'm not eliminating it. It's there. It happened. But... The other eight contracts that have happened in the mostly the same time period, within less than a year of the same time period, none of them are fully guaranteed. So that's why I think this contract was bad news for Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I think that that makes totally good sense. Look, I mean, the more quarterbacks sign deals that are not fully guaranteed, the more it's going to be like, well... As a negotiating tactic, the Ravens can say, look, Lamar Jackson, this is not something that is going on in the league. And you can want this. You know, you can want a fully guaranteed deal that is structured like that of Deshaun Watson. But that's not what any other team is going to do. We're not going to do it. And you can go knock on the doors of other teams and see if they want to do it, because that's what he has the right to do as um, a, a player that's tagged under the, under the non-exclusive franchise tag, you can go meet with any team, but no team, it, it's clear at this point, I think, is going to want to structure a deal like that. And so when you have a Kyler Murray, you have a Russell Wilson, and now you have a Jalen Hurts who have signed deals that don't follow that structure, I, I, it's, it's difficult to see why the Ravens would come off of their stance as a negotiating tactic and say, yes, we will do a fully guaranteed deal with you. Unless that uh, the other party 
is giving something up too, right? So if it's going to be a fully guaranteed deal, then it's got to be a, a shorter term deal. That's yeah. the only way that that would make sense. And Peter, obviously you said that multiple times on the show and in your, in your column over the last month, month and a half, however long it has been since we have been talking Lamar Jackson ad nauseum. So it, it's interesting from that standpoint. Yeah, you look at where Lamar Jackson is right now and there just doesn't seem to be much of a market for him. And then you see what this contract is with Jalen Hurts, and you're saying, okay, well, Jalen Hurts just got his team to the Super Bowl, right? You know, he's come in, and he was a rookie, and he wasn't really expected to play, and then uh, Carson Wentz fell absolutely apart. He comes in, plays last few games, then comes in the next year, and he's a starter, and he plays well, leads that team to the playoffs. I mean, they were nine and eight and they lost in the first round, but they were still there. And then he leads his team to the Super Bowl and you see that ascent and you see that rise. And you want to say, yeah, absolutely. Jalen Hurts earned the hell out of that contract. And he, you expect that he's going to continue to keep playing like that. But then you look at Lamar Jackson and Lamar Jackson is a former MVP, but he's also had the availability issues. So there's got to be a place you would at least like to think that there is a place where the Ravens and Lamar Jackson can come together and get something done. But I mean, to this point, we just haven't seen it. In the last two weeks, actually in the last nine days, there've been two large events in the Lamar Jackson contract saga. And those large events are, Odell Beckham Jr. signing a one-year, $15 million contract with the Ravens, and Jalen Hurts signing a five-year, $255 million contract with the Philadelphia Eagles. And the reason why those are significant is that there was communication between Lamar Jackson and Odell Beckham Jr. before he signed that contract the clear inference is that Lamar would love to be throwing the ball to Odell Beckham. Okay, we all know that. And now that uh, the latest contract for a quarterback is signed and doesn't include anywhere near the guaranteed money that Lamar Jackson wants. So the stage is set right now, Miles, that the Ravens could try to figure out some way to give him, let's say for the sake of argument, three years fully guaranteed at the market rate. And then if you want to add two more paper years on the end, go for cap reasons, uh, you know, to lessen the cap hit early, whatever, you can do that. But the Mm -hmm. clear inference was, is, excuse me, that after the third year, you'd probably be redoing the contract. There's that possibility. Or there's the possibility of, Lamar Jackson being a freedom fighter and basically saying, I'm not playing football unless you meet my demand. And then we'll have to see if the Ravens, uh, you know, either pick a quarterback in the fourth round, um, you know, of this draft, fourth or fifth round, and work like the Dickens to get him ready to play, or they tap Carson Wentz or Matt Ryan or someone else from the quarterback scrap heap and say, come to camp and win this job. 
And if we do end up signing Lamar Jackson, you will be free to be a free agent if you so choose. So this thing is still far from over. The one last thing I want to talk about with this contract that I believe that the two other really logical guys here that everybody is talking about is Joe Burrow of the Cincinnati Bengals and Justin Herbert of the Los Angeles Chargers. These two guys are both eligible to get uh, new contracts, and I believe there's a good chance that they'll both sign before Labor Day weekend. But let's just keep one thing in mind as we go through this process. I believe Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert are both going to have a choice. And that choice is this, that, okay, it's obvious that we can't and are not willing to play without you. And if you want a fully guaranteed contract, gun to our heads, we're probably going to have to do that. And I'll use the Joe Burrow example as one. But Joe, if you make us put $220 million in escrow, the Brown family, who have often, you know, their, their, their lack of wealth versus the Jerry Joneses and the Walton Pennerses of the world, everyone knows that this is a family-owned team that doesn't have huge corporate money behind it. So it's harder for them in the NFL rules where if you sign somebody to a contract with all this guaranteed money, the day, uh, the I'm sorry, the year that you sign it, you have to get all of that money and put it in escrow uh, for, you know, for purposes of the guarantee. So if you're the Bengals, you can say, we'll give you this money guarantee, but you have to understand it's going to cost you people around you. That's all there is to it. We can't sign everyone to market contracts if we're giving you a contract with $280 million guaranteed, period. That, to me, is one of the reasons why I think, it's just my opinion, I think that both Burrow and Herbert are going to tell their agents, of course I'd like to be a trailblazer, and I'd like us all to start uh, signing all guaranteed contracts, but... I also want a left and right tackle. I want, a, I want two great receivers. I, I, I want to be able to have a great team. I'm not so worried about me. I'm worried about the people around me. Based on what we know about those two guys, I can absolutely see that. And, and you know, the franchise situations are what they are, right? I mean, it's not just the Bengals. I mean, you've got uh, the, the Los Angeles Chargers and, you know, not necessarily an exact same situation, but it's it's mainly a little bit similar, similar. Right, when it comes to spending money. I think very money. similar, yeah. Yeah, when it comes to spending money and or not spending money if you are the Chargers. So given that, I mean, I, I think that Joe Burrow certainly has an argument that he should receive the same sort of deal as Jalen Hurts did. I mean, Joe Burrow has accomplished much the same sorts of things that that, that uh, Jalen Hurts has in his time in the league, right? I mean, he's taken this team to the Super Bowl. They lost the Super Bowl, but he still took him there. He's been in the AFC Championship game the last two years, um, at least. So that's one thing. Now, Justin Herbert 
you know, we all know that he is incredibly talented, but the team around him has not been as good just that he can advance in the playoffs, right? I mean, he's made one playoff appearance. Arguably, they should have had two if things go a little bit differently at the end of that Raiders-Chargers game in Week 18 in 2021. Maybe they would have, they probably would have made the playoffs, right? But I, I think, you know, when you see that collapse, that's the Chargers, not necessarily just Justin Herbert. If I am... Dean Spanos, if I am Tom Telesco, my thought is, well, if Jalen Hurts got that, we can go almost there, but let's not go quite there, you know? And maybe that'll work. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But that's at least where my mind would be at because Joe Burrow, like I said, he's done it. We've seen it. Yeah, I haven't necessarily seen it from Justin Herbert, despite the fact that I think we all would agree that he has one of the most uh, talented arms in the league. Here's here's the thing I, I was going to say is the last point I was going to make today. And that is, if I were Joe Burrow or, or if, I, if I were the Cincinnati Bengals or the Los Angeles Chargers this morning, I would be pushing hard to get a deal done with one of those, one of those players, with my quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. Because every time a quarterback gets signed, it's a An game angel gets its of wings. hopscotch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. every sing- Yeah, every single contract is going to be a little bit bigger than the next one. It doesn't matter if, for instance, if the, the Los Angeles chart, let's say Joe Burrow signs for an average of $53 million guaranteed tomorrow. Let's just say. You think Justin Herbert's going to take 50? Uh, and that's the, that's the problem. If you're Justin Herbert right now, today, if you want to just hit the lottery and get this deal done, in my opinion, I think the Chargers would be smart in saying to him, okay, here we go. Five years, $260 million, And that would be 27 or 57 million or 57, $52 million, $1 million more per year than Jalen Hurts got. You figure out whatever the guarantee is. I would say it should be relatively the same as mm-hmm. what Jalen Hurts got. But be that as it may, be all that as it may, I would be, if I were one of these teams, I'm not saying in a rush, but I would want to get this contract done soon, like very soon. Because, yeah. you know, the average salaries for quarterbacks is not going in the other direction. No, certainly not. And that's why I I like what the Eagles did with this, right? They decided that they were going to be aggressive. They weren't going to wait around. They were going to set what basically is the floor for the other two guys, right? Because, I mean, you said that you think that both um, Burrow and Herbert are going to have new deals by Labor Day. I certainly anticipate that. And if I am Joe Burrow's agent or if I'm Justin Herbert's agent, I'm telling this guy, look, we're not playing. We're withholding services if we do not have a deal by week one. And that's just the way this should be because a good agent will have that deal done anyway. So it won't even become an issue. But that's the stink that Kyler Murray's agent made last year. And we saw that Kyler Murray got a new deal done, right? And I think that we can all agree that Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts, even though he's got the contract already, those guys have accomplished more than Kyler Murray has, right? So if that is the case, 
then those two guys also need new contracts. But I, I would go back to what I'm saying that the Eagles did. You're aggressive. You don't mess around. You understand and you signal even in the media like, yeah, we know who this guy is. We understand who we've got and we want to make sure that we take care of that player and we take care of ourselves by taking care of that player. So you don't mess around with it. You just get it done. And I respect the Eagles for doing that because when you have a franchise quarterback, that's not something you want to mess around with. You want to make sure that that guy is happy, that that guy is satisfied contractually so that you can do all the other things that you need to do that center around that quarterback. I, I, I love what the Eagles did there. Miles Simmons, good show today. Good show this week. We've got one more before the draft. And uh, next week we'll come to you with my one and only mock draft that, believe me, that exercise is going to make a mockery of the draft. But for now, on behalf of Miles Simmons, on behalf of all of our wonderful folks at NBC, and you know what? I never thank Kristen Coleman who is the goddess of this podcast, puts it together and does such a wonderful job. A hat tip to you, Kristen Coleman. Thank you so much. And to everyone at NBC who makes this podcast and all our programming possible, thank you. And thanks for tuning in, either hearing, just listening, or watching this podcast, as you always do. My gratitude And we will be back with the Mock Draft Podcast right here. Same bat time, same bat channel next week. Thank you for experiencing the Peter King Podcast.